scripture reading will be Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife? And the two shall become one flesh, so they no longer are two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Thank you, gentlemen. Beloved, you will notice we sang, and Brother David led a lot of songs uh, about love. I'm assuming you all realize that Friday, wasn't it? It was Valentine's Day. And um, I, you, you see all those statistics on Valentine's Day and how much people spend and everything. Incidentally, according to the statistics, and I'm not trying to open a can of worms here, but according to the statistics, the men spend a whole lot more. I, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, but, but, that's probably because we have the better mates, right? Uh, but uh, I, I, I'll tell you this, my, uh, mine and Kathy's lovely, sweet, oldest granddaughter sure did make our Valentine a happy one and baked us a cake and everything. And um, it's one of them fancy ones they call fall apart cakes, but hey, it was really good. Uh, it was great. We, we had a, and we appreciate it so very much, brethren. And, and so we're going to be talking today about that and about love, as David sang, and we all talk about that. And, and Frankie alluded to in the Lord's Supper about the Lord's love for us. And, and uh, brethren, I, you know, um, I'm reminded of the little story about these kids that was playing outside one day. It was on a Monday in the summertime. They'd been uh, been church going, little kid, and they'd all been in church that Sunday, and they were kind of playing church. Did y'all ever play church when you were there? So for some reason, I always had to be the heathen that repented. But anyway, um, uh, but we they were all playing church and everything, and they decided in the course of all this that they decided to have a wedding. And so they very quickly picked out the little bride and the groom and, and all the people in the wedding party and who the preacher was going to be and, and the crowd there witnessed the wedding and everything. And they had this thing going and, and, uh, and they were, you know, going along and doing the wedding. And, and one of the little kids leaned over to the, the preacher and said, uh, you know, th 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 it was a church wedding, so he had to quote some scripture. And a little boy was scratching his head trying to think of something to say. And so he finally said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, <laughs> But, brethren, I doubt that any one of us really knew exactly what we were doing when we got married. And then you think back on that, you know, even in this, uh, this particular scripture was not uh, part of our ceremony, of course. I, I know I didn't know exactly, you know, what you're getting into. It was a new experience. In fact, I'm still learning we're, we're still you know becoming brothers and sisters we understand that it takes work and commitment to have a good marriage it's not that you say i do at the wedding day and then that's it you know and um and so you know that's it's a, it's a it's a great effort someone has said that marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that is too hot with someone sleeping in a room that's too cold <laughs> um and there are those compromises, right? Marriage is a very serious responsibility, brothers and sisters, and, and most people don't fully realize all that is involved until much later. There are young people that I have flat out refused to marry because they had no concept whatsoever of what they were doing. And so it is a growing and a learning experience, and so we need to know that, right? Our text this morning... It's going to be Ephesians 5, 
22 through 33, and I want us to read that together, and then we're going to make some comments about that this morning. This is going to be our text. Ephesians 5, verse 22 Jesus, uh, the, the Apostle Paul says, of course, Holy Spirit inspired, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Brother, uh, ladies, that means your husband, not anybody else's, okay? We need to get that clear sometime. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives are to be to their husbands in everything. And then he says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How do you love your wives, husband? This was radical back then, brethren. This was revolutionary stuff. You love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, let me tell you something today. You love your wives like that. You love your wives the way Jesus loves his bride. You won't have any trouble with her submitting to your spiritual leadership. Amen? Is when husbands are a horse's patootie that a wife has trouble submitting. Am I wrong, ladies? Gentlemen, you be who God wants you to be, and you won't have any trouble in that regard. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, talking about the bride of Jesus, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, that, but that she would be holy and blameless. He's alluding to the wedding ceremony here, brethren, when the bride comes down in a beautiful white gown, and she is perfect in every way in that husband's eyes or the husband's-to-be eyes, and that's what it's alluding to here. That's the way Jesus sees his church. So husband, verse 28, ought also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Husbands, you love your wives the way you do your body. <laughs> I've seen some of you young men get in front of a mirror. Yeah, you like, you, you like that. Okay, Jesus says you love your wife in that same way. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. Brothers and sisters, we're talking literally here this morning about the bride of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Did you know if you are already a Christian, then you are married to Jesus through your salvation, if you're part of the church, if God added you to the church and you were saved, he did do that, then you're his bride. Do, we, do you understand this is what he's saying here this morning, brothers and sisters? Those of us who have been married for a while, do you remember the kind of bride or the groom you were looking for when you began to think about getting married? I'm not talking about them people that get desperate and say, I'm going to take any old thing that comes down the pike. I'm talking about people that's really serious about serving the Lord and thought about it. You see, brother, and I went through this just like most everybody else. And, and, and what I would do, and in the, in the great mistake I made it initially was I'd find me a girl I wanted and say, Lord, this is the one giver to me. And God said, uh-uh, boy, you don't know what you're talking about. So when I finally come to the point where I said, God, I'm through with this. I'm giving it over to you. You send me the bride that you want me to have. And then I'll be satisfied with that, brothers and sisters. Do you remember... Asking God, praying to God about the bride or the groom that you wanted. And young people, I hope you're doing that. I remember asking God to give me a wife that one would understand my needs. Who would 
always loved me in spite of all my frailties and shortcomings and remained faithful to me. And also, if any chance she would be a great cook, that would be fine. Now, that one we had to work on. There were some horrible days at first, but, but she has become a wonderful cook. But most importantly, brethren, most importantly, and I pray this fervently, I ask God to give me a committed, faithful Christian bride. Not those that play at it. Not those that play church. Not those that put God somewhere in the equation. But I mean, number one, God comes first no matter what. That I be a good Christian wife, a committed Christian mama, and committed to God first and foremost. And brethren, I can tell you that God answers prayer. And he blessed me with a lady like that. But I wonder this morning what Jesus thinks of us, his bride. As he looks down, have we remained faithful and true to him? Has our marriage, our salvation stood the test of time? Or have we been lured away into some adulterous situations and circumstances with the world if Jesus is he still the love of your life or have you replaced him with maybe your job or materialism or pursuit of pleasure or your busyness in other words beloved are, are you cheating on your husband your groom are you having an affair with the world you know in a wedding ceremony the couple stands before each other and they proclaim I do and they're saying, I do love you, and I do promise to cherish you and to honor you, and, 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 but what does I do to Jesus mean if we're his bride? I do what? We're going to talk about that, brethren. We're going to look at a wedding ceremony and what it means. A lot of people don't understand every step of a wedding ceremony means a particular thing. In the olden days, they meant it a whole lot. They understood this a lot more than we do, I think, today. You know, we just think it's just going through some motion to get married, but, but there's a lot to it. And every wedding begins with what was called, it used to be called a declaration of intention. And what that is, you see, do you know, brethren, that a wedding processional, where the, where the entrance of the bride and the groom into the building or, the, or the, wherever they're getting married at, in some cases, I've, I've married people in cow pastures, and I kid you not. But wherever it is, you know, they're coming in, and, and you know that is a declaration of their intention? It, it, when, when most people think it just means that the ceremony is about to begin, so they need to kind of be quiet and pay attention, but it means literally, originally, so very much more than that. And so, brethren, I don't know, probably every wedding I've ever performed, you know, uh, you'd be back there, you know, with the groom and everything, you're waiting for everything to get started, and the groom and, and, the, and the best men and all them, they're going to be coming out in a little bit, and then later on the bride, and, you know, after all the, the bridesmaids and everything come forward, and, and they're all waiting there. And I don't think I've ever done a ceremony where the groomsman didn't tease the groom, right, and say to him, hey, you had not walked out that door yet. You know, you can call this off. You can head out the back, man. This is your chance. You better take advantage of it. All that teasing goes on. But, brethren, there's something to be said about that because what that fellow's saying by not running off, and down south a lot of them don't because daddy's sitting there with a shotgun. But, but uh, you know, they don't run off. And what they're saying is, no, I choose not to do that. I am declaring my intention 
that I'm going to marry this person and be faithful to her for the rest of my life. And so uh, he's declaring his intention. And so as the bride and groom enter the church building then um, from different directions and they meet, they are declaring literally their intention before God and before that crowd of witnesses that they are here to um, that they are here for a purpose, and that purpose is to give themselves to one another completely and for a lifetime. Is that what it meant when you said, I do to Jesus, to our bride today? This morning, what does your presence here declare? What are your intentions, brothers and sisters? Have you come as the bride of Christ ready to give yourself completely to him? What's your intentions? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Is it, man, I hope that preacher don't go long today because I want to beat everybody at the restaurant? Is it, I got a ham in the oven and I need to be thinking about that? Brothers and sisters, what is our declaration of intention this morning? A declaration of intention is a public witness of what someone intends to do, what they are committing to do. In fact, the rest of the wedding ceremony are going to be statements that are said and repeated of what the couple intends to do to each other as they are married to one another. And so as the bride of Christ, we describe, we declare our intentions before God as well when I, we first gave our lives to him. When we were first baptized into Christ and added to his church, i.e., and become his bride, would you say that you have honored your intentions as Christ's bride since that day? Do the two of you make a good couple? Or is there difficulty in your marriage? See, the second thing, brothers and sisters, a wedding ceremony declares is a covenant relationship. You see, as you all know, when a couple says, I do, they are saying, I do promise to live in a covenant with you and to commit myself to you and I'm going to do this above all other relationships. In fact, Jesus himself said, when a man and a woman do go into this relationship, they're to leave their father and mother and cleave to one another. See, others become secondary in that regard. A marriage starts with a statement or a declaration of intention. But, beloved, we all know that good intentions do not make a good marriage. It's got to be more than intention. You can promise your spouse the world before the wedding, and a lot of people do. But what you do afterwards is what's going to break or make that marriage, right? You've got to give yourself to your marriage, to your spouse. You've got to give yourself 100%. And brothers and young people, let me tell you what. Ladies, you listen to me. You hear me good now. Y'all listening? These all kind of men out there will promise you the moon. They'll promise you the moon. Then when you get married, you don't get a slice of cheese. You better be careful about that. Now, brother, I know what I'm talking about. I've been in this business for a long time. And these girls come, oh, he's going to do this, he's going to do this. He don't even have a job. You watch that, girls, and, and you be careful about that. A marriage starts with a statement of intention, but it's got to be fulfilled, brothers and sisters. And so if our relationship with God is to grow and to be fulfilling and to be what God intends it to be, we have to be willing to commit ourselves completely, totally, 100% to him. To follow through with I do, 
We've got to do that. Coming to church every Sunday is a great start, brothers and sisters, and it's commanded by the Bible, and it's certainly what we're to do. That's the first principles of all things. And, but in, in fact, in, in, it is truly an exercise in godly living to do that, but it's how we live all week long. How we treat our spouse when we go home. That's the true test of whether we have a good marriage or only a good image. I want us to have a good marriage to our bride this morning. Amen? Beloved, if you've noticed, the groom always enters the sanctuary or the church building or wherever they're getting married before the bride, and he's the first one to say the vows. This is on purpose. Again, this has meaning. The groom signifies that he is the covenant initiator. Someone has to initiate the covenant, right? And in most cases, I know there are exceptions these days in, the, in this day and age, but in most cases, the husband or the husband-to-be, the groom, is the one that initiates the covenant. He's the one that gets down on his knee or whatever he does and says, Baby doll, would you please marry me? You know? I know some of you guys take so long, the wife, future wife ends up having to ask you in it. But Romans 5, verses 6 through 10, tells us who initiated the covenant with us. And it's a marvelous thing. Romans 5, beginning in verse 6, the Bible tells us, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were yet sinners, or I'm sorry, enemies, we were reconciled to God... Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall now be saved by his life. Brothers and sisters, while we were still sinners, while we were unworthy, while we were enemies of Christ, it was Jesus Christ who initiated it. It was Jesus Christ who died on a cross during that time while we were that way in order to save us and, and then add us to his church and make us his bride. This is so important because whoever initiates the covenant assumes the greater responsibility. If you read Ephesians 5 again that we read this morning, husbands, you will see God puts on you the greater responsibility in the marriage. Not that the wife doesn't have her responsibility. But you've got the greater responsibility to be the spiritual leader of the household and to lead your wife and your children into growth and the right relationship with Jesus Christ. And men, if we don't do that, we're going to answer to God. We need to understand that. That's, we are the initiators. We have the greater responsibility to make sure it takes place. God initiated covenants with Noah and Abraham and David, and he's been a covenant maker, and he's the covenant keeper. God is committed to us as his people, brothers and sisters, as his bride, and he is always faithful. Jesus initiated the covenant of salvation with us. And sometimes we're not as faithful as we need to be and as we want to be, of course, but Jesus assumes the greater responsibility of keeping us together in a relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, if there's ever a divorce in the, in the, with the, this bride, it's not his. It's not his doing. Jesus Christ does everything he can do to keep us in a covenant relationship with him. It's us that breaks the covenant. So we may fail, and, and, but he doesn't. Jesus is always faithful. We're sometimes that fickle, flirting bride, but our groom, Jesus never 
entertains the thought of giving up on us or divorcing us. He is committed to us, and he asks us to commit to him in the same way. He died for his bride, the Bible tells us in our text this morning. And in the wedding ceremony, brethren, again, this means something. We don't, we don't put the meaning to it today, but in the wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom take each other's right hand as they say their vows. The right hand symbolizes their strength and all that they have and all that they are and that they're pledging it to one another. We depend upon the saving strength of God's right hand. In Psalms 20, verse 6, it says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. We need that. And brethren, I want to encourage all of us as the bride of Christ this morning to take the hand of Jesus and to lean on him. The good thing about our groom brothers and sisters is he never gives up on us. He always blesses us. And right now, this very moment, he wants to bless you in his love and to open up to you all the riches of heaven. And, and we, we honestly can say, the church can say, the bride of Christ married Mr. Perfect, Mr. Right. Not many people can say that. And then we say, brethren, I do. You know what that means, literally? You know what that means when we say, do you take this person to be your lawfully wedded wife and so on and so forth? And they say, I do. It literally means let it be. It is a promise. It is a vow. The pronouncement of husband and wife at the end of the wedding ceremony is more than just a name change. Beloved, it acknowledges that for sure. It says you so-and-so is going to become Mrs. whatever now, but it's a whole lot more than that because it's, it, it is part of the I do. You're saying that from this time on, I take my stand to be your wife, to be your husband, to remain faithful and committed to you, to love you, and there'll be nobody else, and so let it be, and the Bible says it has to be unto death. Marriages are built on trust, brethren, aren't they? At the pronouncement, the couple says our trust is unbroken and unwavering, and nothing will come between us, for we are husband and wife now, as the Bible declares the two have become one flesh. God has declared his undying love and devotion to us, as well in the Son, his Son Jesus, and through our salvation, we find a covenant relationship with God. And the blood of Jesus declares that we are his and nothing shall come between us. That's God's covenant. But beloved, as we know, and as we say all the time, it takes two, doesn't it? It takes two to keep that promise. God never wavers. He never doubts. He never questions the relationship. But do we? See, there may be some here this morning that's not been a very faithful bride to our Lord and Savior. When you become a Christian, God pronounced you his bride. He claimed you. And brethren, once God makes a claim on you, he doesn't want to give you up. If we have been an unfaithful wife, an unfaithful Christian, then we need to come to him and ask his forgiveness. 
and we'll receive because he's always the faithful husband. We'll receive his love and his mercy and his grace. You see, beloved, in the wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom, they exchange rings. This ring, as you've heard, if you ever go through what they call the ring ceremony, it's an unending circle. It has no beginning and it has no end. And that's the kind of love God displays to us as his bride, as his people. It's a perfect love and it's an unbroken love when it comes to God. Friend, let me tell you this morning, people say, I just can't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. He doesn't send you to hell. You go there on your own by refusing to become his bride and being faithful to him. But let me tell you what, he'll love you every step of the way. He'll love you every step that you go into hell. He doesn't want you to. But he's not going to force you to marry him. There's no shotgun weddings in the Lord's church. In the Old Testament, whenever two parties made a covenant, whatever that covenant was, whether it was marriage or something else, they exchanged something of value, a, a token of their pledge to say this is what we pledge and we mean this. The change of the rings represents this demonstration of your pledge, of your commitment. It marks them as the beginning to each other of having pledged themselves to each other. Beloved, in the Lord's church today, we have made that pledge to our bride. As the Lord's church, we've made that pledge to our Lord. The question is, am I living up to it? Not, don't ask anybody else. Well, Brother Green, I know so. It doesn't matter. Are we, are you living up to that? I've seen all kinds of marriages, and you have too. And it breaks my heart for each one that fails. For whatever reason, it breaks my heart. Well, let me ask this morning, brother, because all, all of us can only answer this for ourselves. How would you describe your relationship with Jesus this morning? Is he the love of your life? Is he your absolute best friend? Is he the first and last, or is he the, or is he the last person you think of, or is he just one small part of your busy life? Brother, it's hard to explain how much Christ loves us in earthly terms. As Romans 5 says, to die on a cross for our sins while we were yet sinners and enemies of his. One of the closest metaphors that the Bible gives us that we can have for that love is the love between a husband and his bride. As we've studied this morning, it illustrates the closeness of Christ's relationship with us, the depth of his love. We are the bride of Christ. If you're in the Lord's church this morning, he gave himself for us. The question this morning, are, are you his bride? Are you in his church? Have you done what the Bible says to do? And if so, have you been a faithful bride? Let's consider that while we stand and sing this morning.